This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 150. Joy. Of the in-between podcast where you'll discover the tools to bear build a marriage and family that you love. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina That totally caught me off guard. I know. Joy. All right. So today we are gonna have Chris Kersey and Marcus Werner back with us on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, their previous interview with us entitled How to Strengthen Your Marriage in 15 Minutes is actually one of our most downloaded episodes of all time. Yeah, I mean, practical about marriages, 15 minutes, and then you throw brain science into the whole mix. Yeah, that's yeah. a good, good one. So you be sure to check that one out if you haven't listened to it already. Yeah, so this time we are going to be continuing to talk to them, uh, not necessarily about how to strengthen your marriage, but four habits of raising joy-filled kids. This comes out of their newest book, really along the same sort of lines about brain science, Mm -hmm. but implementing that now into the parenting side of things. Exactly, of how to raise your kids to become happy, confident, and productive adults. We so appreciated their insight about the difference between healthy and toxic shame, especially since both of us grew up in a shame-based culture. Mm -hmm. Marcus and Chris have spent years studying human relationships, and now they're offering principles derived from the way our brains are hard wired. You'll find on this episode that joy isn't some abstract concept, but rather a neurochemical reality that arises from the choices we make. So let's listen in to learn how to make parenting decisions that bring joy to yourself and then to those young lives in your hands. We'll never regret investing into joy. So as you listen into this episode for all the show notes that we talk about and the links, just go to inbetween.org slash episode 150. Now let's listen in. Well, Marcus and Chris, it is so good to have y'all back on the In Between podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. We don't hear many Man. Canadians say y'all. It's nice. That's to right. <laughs> well, the Nashville, we have left Nashville, but Nashville hasn't left us. That's right? it. Yeah, don't leave the Nashville. <laughs> no, we're going to keep going as long as we can with the all. Yes. Exactly. So much more inclusive than you guys. That's like, yeah, Canadian, that's right. You guys. say you guys a lot. Yeah. So yeah. Like, no, let's replace it with y'all. So, just for our podcast family, um, so just so they know, once again, just the difference of your voice, uh, can you just introduce yourself and say your name so they can. Kind of because they won't be able to see us. Yeah, or or change your you know intonation and your. Yeah, let, let's <laughs> just go, mix one it goes up. high, one goes low. <laughs> yeah, I could try to become a bass really quick, but I don't know if that'll work. So this is Marcus. <laughs> yeah, I'm Marcus Warner, and I'm the president of Deeper Walk International. And uh, Chris, yes, I'm Chris Corsi, uh, president of Thrive Today. So Marcus and I are good friends. Awesome, awesome. All right, so. You know, with your book, and and once again, we'll link it to the show notes the last time you guys were on the episode, and we talked about your previous one, but you have a new book, The Four Habits of Raising Joy-Filled Kids, and you open up your book with these two unique statements, right? Families exist to grow joy, and that transforming low-joy families into high-joy families can change the world. 
This is the first time we've heard that the purpose of family and parenting is really to grow joy. Yeah, I thought it was to raise adults and lunch. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. No, completely. So, so can you unpack these thoughts for us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, throughout history, people have thought the purpose of a family was to get well-behaved kids. Mm. They thought it was to get high-achieving kids. They thought it was to guarantee the future of their family, you know, dynasty or their family estate or something like this. What we find, though, is that is if you look at the purpose of the family as raising joy-filled kids who are resilient and can bounce back from almost whatever they face and not get emotionally overwhelmed, then you are raising mature kids and all of those other things are going to happen. In other mm-hmm. words, so if you focus on let's raise joy-filled kids, the rest of that will follow. If you focus on those other things, too often what we do is we embitter our kids and we'd end up not getting what we wanted anyway because they're so upset with the way that we parented them. So we're not talking about spoiling them, giving them whatever they want. We'll talk about what it means to do this, but uh, making joy the focus uh, creates a lot of the other results we're after. Um, mm-hmm. But we're been we've been focusing on the wrong things. Yeah, and Marcus and I really hope that our book would would kind of shine the spotlight on this. That joy means we're glad to be together. Mm-hmm. And we now have brain science that tells us joy is really the fuel for our brain, mm-hmm. and the part of our brain that houses our identity, uh, that thinks of who I am, who we are. Um, that's also the part of the brain that grows throughout the lifespan. And it grows in response to glad to be together moments. So that means our brain is capable of growing this joy all throughout our life. And that is really good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marcus, do you mind defining something for us? Because you said the word resiliency. And even in my childhood, looking back, resiliency actually sort of had a little bit of a negative connotation to it in the sense where it means you need to be resilient. You need to pick up yourself by your bootstraps. You need to white knuckle it through because you're strong. You're resilient. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Or is there a, d- a different definition to that? Yeah, there's a, that's a great question because um, what we mean by that is is strictly in the strictest um, sense is – the ability to recover from upsetting emotions. Now okay. you can add negative things onto that. Like you better recover from your negative emotions, right? You can, <laughs> right. you can put negative things onto that, but at the heart of it is one is this idea that a lot of parents who were thought their focus was good behavior, for example, were actually very good at building joy filled families and they didn't even know how they were doing it. They just mm. kind of had these skills that they had learned from their own families. They had high resiliency themselves. They didn't get so when, So we're talking about is, is it takes a lot to overwhelm me and okay. it doesn't take much for me to bounce back. And that's yeah. what we mean by resilient. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And joy gives us that, that strength. So the more joy that we build, the more resilient I'm able to be because I can recover when things go wrong. And it's actually, you know, I don't have to white knuckle it because I can suffer well, even when things are just very painful, tiring, overwhelming. Yeah, joy really does kind of anchor us in the storms. Yeah, that's good. So we recognize that every, all of our listeners, they're all at different levels of journeying with their children or if they have children and, you know, in terms of different parenting styles that they were parented via, you know, through and and that they've read and and all this and, and they might be, you know, on the treadmill or working out or driving and, and they're hearing, okay, joy, joy, joy. 
Can you give, can you paint a picture of a family that's parenting in this way, lest our listeners think, okay, so should we just be like Ned Flanders? Like, is, is that is that what you're talking about? Just can you, yeah, just paint a picture for us and and kind of dispel some of those myths. Sure. So uh, let me start. The what this starts with is is the first habit, and that's attuning to our kids. And the and the idea is noticing where they're at emotionally and meeting them in their emotions. So this starts by uh, like if you walk in the room and the room's a mess and your 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 child's over there, but they're they're upset or they're troubled by something, your first impulse isn't, what a mess, what's wrong with you? What's you know, why are you doing this? And you go straight to the behavior and straight to the problem instead of seeing the child, uh, meeting the child where they're at, helping the child's emotions get get settled and help them recover. Because mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, once the child's emotions get under control, they're going to be much more obedient. <laughs> you know, okay. if you've helped yeah, them right. re- re- return to joy, now they are going to uh, be much in a much better place to do what you ask them to do. It becomes less of a power struggle because they. it also engenders trust, that they trust you to see them and not to just run over them because all you're concerned about are the problems and the behaviors. Yeah. So we're, we're actively molding character when we focus on joy instead of just Mm. modifying behavior. So a lot of parenting strategies is modifying behavior, which actually reduces joy because Mm. now I'm just focused on my behavior instead of the relationship. And so joy filled parenting is when, you know what, things are hard, but I'm glad we're together in this. Mm-hmm. Um, joy is, it's a genuine response that I'm, I'm glad to be with you. And even when those, those moments happen where I'm not glad to be with you, we learn how to get back to joy. Um, and we return, we, we learn how to return and recover from things that go wrong. And in that way, we don't have to avoid the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to mm-hmm. sidetrack it. We don't have to white knuckle it. Just means that our brain has learned to, to feel and to experience and to start. So I'm glad to be together, Joy. Um, just this morning, my, my sons were running late for school and it was a, a rough morning. But in the midst of the, the rough morning, I could still convey to my sons, I'm glad we're in this together, that no matter what happens here, we're going to get through this. We'll look back on this right. and it won't feel so big. Because in the mm. moments, the hard stuff feels really big. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so joy is just, you know what, this is hard, but I'm glad we're in this together. I'm glad to be here with you. Wow. That's even just to hear those words just makes me feel so comforted. Yeah. Where were y'all like 11 years ago when our our eldest was one? (laughs) Our eldest was like enjoying her time playing and we were like, what a mess! Oh goodness! Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Thankfully, we're not saying we're this all is on easy. Journey, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I appreciate that, Marcus. I really yes. do. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. But I love how even in your book you say time and time again, right, that this is a journey, and that one moment does not just equal that you've ruined everything, Mm. that there are times to come back to joy and to come back and say, you know, hey, we are in this together. So another interesting thought that you had in uh, your first chapter is that there's, um, there's something to do with maturity, which was really interesting. And you said the lack of maturity, um, the low joy homes produce low maturity people. So what's the link between joy and maturity? Do you want to start, Chris? You want me to take it? Oh, go ahead. All right. So the, uh, 
the connection between uh, maturity and joy, I think of sometimes like a balloon and that is, uh, or a ball that you bounce and uh, the air inside of that ball that allows it to bounce is joy. And so if we define maturity as the ability to act like myself under stress, I don't turn into a different person. You know how it is sometimes as parents, when I get really mad, I do things and I'm like, why did I do that? That's not like me. I turned into a different person. That's not how I want to parent, right? You know, so we find that for each of us, there are different emotions that trigger us to turn into somebody else. For some of us, it's shame. For some, it's fear. For some, it's anger, right? We, And so one of the things we do is we learn what emotion overwhelms us so that we turn into somebody else. At that point, mm. I'm not being mature because I'm not acting like myself. So the air in the ball that allows me to bounce back from these emotions so that I can act like myself is joy. And so if I have a, a lot of joy in my life, I'm less, it's harder to overwhelm me, <laughs> right? And I can, okay, we'll deal with that. We'll get through that. Don't worry. You know, not that big. We it, cause and the, what makes it not that big is that it's well within my emotional capacity, right? This is not mm. pushing me past my capacity. So how do you grow emotional capacity? Largely by the ability to live with joy and the ability to return to joy. And so uh, joy is actually integral to the development of maturity. And that's where as as parents, it's really helpful to have other parents that we can connect with, that we can hear their stories. You know, I like to find parents like, you know, it's me with Marcus. Marcus has raised his children longer. His children are older. So I have the benefit of hearing these stories that Marcus has on his parenting journey that give me hope when I'm in a rough spot. I can say, Marcus, how did you and Brenda handle this? And so mm-hmm. hearing those stories as well as just being glad to be together, having this relational joy, um, that really helps us as parents because the moment we feel alone in our pain or our problems, everything, the hard stuff becomes bigger and louder. And so I really encourage parents um, to go through this book, to go through the material together with other parents so you can share those stories, build some joy, and just have that mutual understanding of, yeah, you know what, parenting is hard, but let's look at what we've learned and let's pass that on to give hope to other parents. Yeah. You know, I know there's so many of our podcast family that are like, oh, can you talk more about that? Can you keep going? And and once again, their book is The Four Habits of Raising Joy-Filled Kids, a simple model for developing your child's maturity at every stage. So we do want to encourage you, podcast family, to pick up a copy of this to dig deeper, right? I mean, we're literally just scratching the surface on this. All right, so this is a little bit more of a personal question where for both Christina and I, and we're all affected, like every human is affected in different ways through shame and guilt and in in different levels in culture, in their culture, right? But for both Christina and I, uh, being Asian, Canadian, Asian American, like we grew up in a shame-based culture and and it's like, it is so deep in us that it just, it's, it just comes out in our marriage and our parenting and our everything. Cause it's just, and we're, we're in a, in a, in our own journey, of understanding shame in a in a deeper way and how we've been affected by it and and how it then comes out but but it was fascinating uh that you guys talk about the difference between toxic shame and healthy shame and and our popular culture's understanding of shame uh doesn't have those two dimensions like it is it is here is the shame 
right? Like guilt is you've, you've made the mistake. Shame is you, you are the mistake. And, and that let's literally, right? Like that is our culture's understanding of this. So, so to even put these adjectives of toxic and healthy in and around the shame might even cause some of our listeners to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're poking the yeah. bear there. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you tease out the difference? Uh, because, you know, we all thought shame was bad. <laughs> well, I, I can answer this, you know, I'll answer this in a minute, but, you know, in a sarcastic way, you sort of, the, uh, it, it's uh, sometimes we think of, of toxic shame as, as you know, we were one of the reasons. Never mind. Well, I'll just go straight to the thought. <laughs> this is great. This is great. <laughs> yeah, keep going. You know, science is uh, is uh, on the right side of the brain, right? When am I on the right side of the brain? Uh, when I am first feel shame, shame is that impulse that makes me want to hang my head. Right. It literally triggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it the vagus nerve? Chris is that? What yeah. You it triggers yeah. the vagus nerve back here. It makes you want to hang your head hmm. and uh, go. Oh, I I have made you unhappy. Right, that is a natural reaction. It's an involuntary reaction. There's nothing toxic about it. You can't help the fact that it happens. In fact, the Bible has a word for people who don't do that. They're stiff-necked. Right? Oh. I am oh. not going to feel shame. There is nothing wow. you can do that's going to make me feel shame. I am oh, never going to bow my head. Right? Wow. Whereas what God wants is Christ is are people who go, oh, shouldn't have done that. Right. That was, I, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I did something that was uh, harmful. That, that's, that's that healthy shame. Where shame becomes toxic is when the left brain gets a hold of it and attaches a narrative to it. And this can happen, obviously, in less than a second in our brain, right? It can happen so fast that we just think we're having a single experience. But the narrative part of it is now explains to me why I'm feeling shame. Then it is I'm feeling shame because I'm a horrible person. I'm a terrible human being and I hate me and I don't blame everybody else for hating me and all that. That's the narrative that is being spun around what I just felt. But what I felt was an involuntary reaction. So I'm not a bad person for feeling that. And I'm not, you know, it's not a, and the reality is I'm never going to, it's a healthy thing at some levels to right. be able to go, oh man, I, I hurt you. I did the wrong thing. I'm so sorry. I, you know, how can we make this better? I want our, and it's designed by God to help us want to fix something to make relationships better. Yeah. So, so what Marcus is saying is really important here because healthy shame is where my spouse can come up to me and say, honey, you, you were a little too intense with the sons. Um, did you see that, you know, they were overwhelmed by that. So healthy shame would go, oh, wow. I didn't realize that I need to fix that. I need to repair it. I need to restore joy here because I, I really dropped the ball, forgot who I was for this moment. So healthy shame means I can correct some unwanted behaviors. Toxic shame would be just, honey, you're such a fool. You know, you, you can't do anything right. You yelled at the kids again. Um, you're just such an idiot. Like, you know, toxic shame is like, there's no redemptive value. You just, there's, you're saying there's something wrong with my identity. Um, mm. There's, there's just nothing I can do with that. And so if I don't learn to recover from healthy shame, then what happens is I use shame to motivate you. So I use shame to get things done. I use shame to change you in some way to be who I think you need to be. And that's where these generational patterns come in. Because children then never learn to tease out there is a healthy shame that Marcus is is talking about, which is corrective 
and helpful, but then there's this toxic shame that's not helpful or corrective. And so now if my brain doesn't learn how to deal with healthy shame, then it then I can use toxic shame against the people in my life, whether I'm a boss, mm-hmm. a leader, or my family. And now I shame you when you're not doing what I think you need to be doing. And at that point, the it's just toxic. There's nothing redemptive about it. So Marcus and I really wanted to tease this out in our book because, you know, when children learn to process and return to joy from healthy shame, they bounce back. So I can correct it. Oh, I was being mean. I was bullying at school. Healthy shame says, okay, that's bad. I need to correct that. I need to apologize and, you know, restore joy. Um, Whereas toxic shame would just kind of blast you. And then you're sitting feeling alone in that nasty shame. So it really is a fascinating discussion to even present the concept that there is a healthy shame, even if that doesn't match my experience. Yeah. Um, It just shows how in our world, um, some of these skills have just really faded from society. So even culture can't imagine there's any healthy shame. It's just all bad. And yeah. uh, just because yeah. our families and our communities don't have some of these important skills. And if I could jump in, this is partly where we get back to the idea of changing the world, right? Mm-hmm. That if you can change these patterns in families, families are the core of culture. And so if you can change enough families, then it changes the culture and you change the world. And that's why we said yeah. that at the beginning. Uh, like a domino effect. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books, available wherever books are sold. So um, I feel like we understand the difference between the the healthy shame and the toxic shame. What I'm wondering... um, Podcast family, I hope you find this interesting as well. I feel like I'm just getting a counseling session here. Yes, I know. This is great. <laughs> but, um, Can we do this every month? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, how, do you, how do you restore joy when you've realized you've toxically shamed your kids? Because goodness gracious, I, I mean, we're going to yeah. be very vulnerable and honest here. That's our, that's our, our instinct yes. to yeah. go to toxic shame. And it does work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are consequences to it, right? We are living that proof that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. there's patterns in our life where we really had to bring before God. Um, but yeah, how do you when you so let's say you you just realize you you totally toxically shamed your kids, and you are just feeling oh that that was gross. I shouldn't have done that. But how do I restore joy? How do I repair the relationship from there? Well, this is actually where we get to the second habit, right? That building bounds habit. Mm-hmm. And part of what we mean by building bounce is bouncing back, right? Mm-hmm. How do we bounce back from these things? And so, again, you start by seeing what that did to your child and attuning to that, going, how are you feeling right now? What did that just do to you? And and if they and you're beginning to try to tease that out where you can connect to them at the emotion of what they have experienced, 
mm. and going, that's really not what I'm after here. I do not want to have that kind of relationship with you. Um, I want us to have a different kind of relationship with you. I am, And then you apologize. I'm sorry that I led that way. I should have done this, mm. right? Mm. And so we... Uh, there are times as parents where we apologize to our kids for the way that we have handled things. Um, and this is where it comes down to keeping relationship bigger than the problem. Okay. And so when we talk to our kids, we want to lead with relationship, then talk about the problem and end with relationship. So it's a very important pattern. You know, if I, if I begin with attunement, I see where you're at, you know, help me understand your emotions, where you're at, meet them there. I said, now let's talk about correction. Now let's talk about what needs to change here. And let's end with, you know, the reason for this correction is that I love you. I want us to have a good relationship. I want this to move forward. So it's not that you skip correction. It's okay. not that you skip the behavior. It's that you sandwich it between relationship, you know, in a, like a relational bread. And that way uh, it helps you to uh, avoid, you know, what most parents do is, is, is if I just want change, I just want the kid to do something different, I'm going to motivate with anger, fear, or shame. Those are the big three, mm. right? And, uh, and it does work because kids are afraid of you, you know? And uh, so, but what you're ending up doing is you're building a fear bond with your kid instead of a joy bond with your, with your child. And so that's what we're after is how, how can we change that approach so that we end up with a... Um, kind of relationship with our kids where they you know, want to call us and talk to us about stuff as they get older and we have a, a good relationship. Yeah. And the, and the big thing that um, Marcus is saying here is that we're staying relational with our children. We're owning it. What I find is helpful with my sons is I share stories like, wow, you know, daddy didn't learn some of these important skills that you guys are learning. Um, in fact, what, what, what I learned is A, B, and C. And so I like, I share these stories to give some context, but they're not, I don't justify the behavior. And that's very important. Oh, that's big, yeah. So I would repair and say, you know what? I, I realize I'm, uh, that wasn't helpful what daddy just did. Now my kids are young enough. I still can talk like that, you know, <laughs> but obviously if your kids are older, you know, my you daughter's were, 30, that doesn't work yeah. so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't, that wouldn't daddy work. To talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would use the, you know, the language that makes sense to them, take ownership over it. I messed up. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And I don't justify it. Like, well, justifying would be, well, if you would, if you would have listened to when I told you the first time, I wouldn't have had to be so intense the second time. But, yeah. you know, we, we don't justify. We just own it and mm. apologize for it, ask for forgiveness. So we're we're learning to return to joy. And what happens is that helps your children interpret those moments where you do, because we do use toxic shame in our parenting. And it's like, we don't even realize it half the time. So when we're repairing, it's actually teaching our brain um, to find a new way and don't keep going down that old road. Right. And yeah. it's helping our children interpret it and go, oh, yeah. wow, this isn't really who mommy is, or this really isn't who daddy is. They just, they had a moment where they forgot who they were. And so finding ways to do that actually is incredibly redemptive because if our families or communities would have done that with us, it would have yeah, changed yeah. a generation. So we can be the instruments of change for our yeah. children and our grandchildren. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, before we get to our last question, where we would love for you to just give us some examples in and around the four habits 
Marcus, you mentioned this just practical example of okay, there's this attunement, and then there's the in a sense correction, and then and then you're there's that relational connection afterwards. The the thing that came to my mind as you were talking about that was just that question of timing, right? Is this all within five minutes? Is this all like what is the time in between? And uh, and if you could just use this example, for example, your child comes home, they bring home the result of a test that they did, and it is like is not good, right? And and like and they've they've you know they they knew the results and they're bringing it home and they're you know they probably have all these flutter emotions. I mean, I remember those moments. I'm walking home with the bad test results. Couldn't and, even bring yeah. home a B. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. <laughs> so, so as a parent, how do you do those three? Like, wh- what's the timing in between? If you could use that example. No, that's a yeah, that's a good question. My, um, I tell people there's a time to skip the relational thing first and go straight to the problem, and it's called a crisis. Mm. Right. If your kid's about to step in front of a bus. You didn't go, how do you feel about this? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> right? So what happens is the more often that we lead with anger and lead with fear and lead with shame, we are turning more things into a crisis. Oh, okay. Okay. So when I, uh, on the timing on this, it also, de- that is partly going to depend on how practiced you all are on doing it. In other words, if this has been your habit of how you parent your child, you both fall right into that pattern very quickly and you can get through that process relatively quickly. If you've never done this before, right, that could be a somewhat long drawn out process while they try to figure out what in the world is happening here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it uh, so the, the timing and speed of it some has a lot to do with just how normal of a routine this is for the way that we communicate, yeah. which is why okay. we talk about it as habits. So my, my tendency, like, uh, you know, and this has happened, I've had, you know, uh, one of my kids <laughs> bring home pretty bad report cards and I'm, I'm like, and my first question is almost always, how do you feel about this? Mm. I'm like, mm-hmm. so what, you know, what's going on here? How's it happening? Part of what I want to try to do is get them to not self-justify and not yeah. cast blame and mm. take ownership. Right. Because I've got a bigger goal here than just you better get grades. And that is I want their character to develop in a way that they take ownership when they've messed up. And then we'll come up with a plan of what they're going to do about it. You know, what are we going to do from here? Are are you you need to go talk to your teachers. We need to go find out if there's anything you can do because they're like, oh, I missed this by two points. I missed that. And I said, did you talk to them? No. It's like, okay, let's go. You know, Mm -hmm. so we um, uh, we're going to deal with it. And we're going to try to deal with it constructively. And then I'm going to end with, you know, I'm in this with you, but we got to get this straightened out. And there's parts of this that only you can do. So that conversation honestly took uh, half an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and in that example, what Marcus conveyed with, with his child is that, I I'm with you in this. You're not alone. And so as far as how the brain works, that's one of the best ingredients he could add to that equation with his child, with his child, even though, yeah, the child's got some work to do mm-hmm. and the child's going to learn from this. Um, but he's, he's saying, I'm with you here. You can do this. I believe in you. And that's that character that says, no matter what happens at the end of the day, I'm going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And just just putting that security in place with our children and our families is so life-giving. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. Awesome. Thank you for coloring that in for me. So as we uh, close, you know, as we kind of come to the end of our podcast, we'd love for you to tell us, uh, you know, with the four habits of raising joy-filled kids, uh, if you could just share a bit about the habits and give us a practical example of what each habit looks like for both babies and children. Sure. So the <clears throat> the four habits you can think of as uh, two primarily relational and two primarily task. And they go A, B, C, D. So it's attune and build bounds. And attune just means see them where they are, the emotion they're actually feeling, and meet mm-hmm. them in the emotion they're actually feeling. And then build bounce refers both to things that we initially do just to help them grow joy, and then things that we do to help them bounce back and recover their joy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so we talk about joy workouts with babies, like peekaboo. Oh, peekaboo, oh, yeah. you know, you're playing with them. <laughs> and what you're doing when you're playing peekaboo is you're joy building, and mm-hmm. they'll engage with it. And then you'll notice that, that babies at some point will just look away, like, oh. like you know, mm-hmm. I'm done. Now, that means they need a break. It means their brain has experienced as much joy as it can handle. It's time for mm-hmm. a break. And if you push on past that, it's a little bit like tickling to somebody too much, right? It oh, stops being yeah. fun and it becomes like a, a, a abusive, right? So yeah. what part of what we're doing when we attune and build joy with our, our babies is we are helping them build joy, but we are paying attention that we're doing it on their schedule. Okay. Yeah. And, and an example of that would be just the other night, my, um, one of my sons were, were very, was very upset and sad because he didn't get his way. And so one of the ways, uh, my wife and I attuned was just basically, you know, looking at his body language, listening to his words and his voice mm-hmm. and seeing, wow, you're really sad right now. Aren't you? Mm-hmm. I can see you're really sad because you didn't get what you wanted. What do you need right now? What would be helpful? Do you need some space? Would you like us to sit with you? Or do you just want to be alone for a few minutes? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we attuned. We didn't try to just focus on the problem or the behavior and like snap out of it already. It's like, oh, no, I see you're upset, right? So the attuning is I'm actually sharing it with you. And the building balance then is going to say, hey, what what would be helpful to find some joy right now? Um, One of my children, they just love like humor. So they love to be funny and silly. And when they're having a tough time, it actually helps them, you know, start to smile and giggle and get some joy going. My other child completely annoyed by that approach. So (laughs) would only make the problem worse. Um, And so one of the things I might do is just share a story. Would you like to hear about a time I was feeling really sad and how, how, how dad got back from, from that really big upset so we are, you know, we're joining them in their upset. We're sharing it with them. And again, they still need to do whatever it is that they're going to have to do. But we're actually helping to give them the resources in that moment to get relational and to be that, to remember who they are, even while they have to navigate that terrain. So we're mm-hmm. joining them and helping them. And over time, this this all becomes habits. And so they don't have to be upset for as long. They bounce back as Marcus was saying. So that's A and B kind of lumped together. And then we go to C and D and C is correction. How do you handle correction? And the main point we're making here is that you have to correct and you have to correct kids or they're going to, um, 
they're going to ruin their lives because, you know, let's face it, children are natural born fools. <laughs> you know? And uh, this is really clear to me when I came home one time after uh, my wife and I had been on a date, we had a babysitter to find our, our infant son in his diapers crawling up the stairs with a butcher knife in his hand, <laughs> right? Giggling for all he was worth, thinking this was the greatest thing ever. I'm like, my first thought, you know, being a you know, pastor, I, my first thought was sermon illustration. No, I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, everything's a sermon. Yeah, yeah everything's a yeah. sermon. So you know, I'm sitting here going, you know, it, it's like this is the classic definition of a fool. It's somebody who who thinks this is the greatest thing ever, but it's actually mm. leading to disaster. Wow. So right. okay. um, now, how I handle that with an infant is totally different than how I'd handle that with a child, right? With mm-hmm. an infant, it's like I just want to keep them safe, get rid of the situation, help them get back to joy. There is no correction involved. I am not going to try to teach them a life lesson. I'm not doing anything <laughs> with my baby, but keeping them safe, you know, helping them get back to joy and, and move on. With my my child, then it would be different. It would be, okay, now we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about why I'm correcting your behavior. Yeah, I can't okay. correct your behavior because I love you, because I want you to be successful. I want you to have a long life. I want you to have a lot. You know, I want you to achieve a lot. I want you to have a lot of friends. You know, I'm casting a vision for them as to why correction is essential because the path you're on right now will not lead to that destination. So let me help yeah. you get on a better path. So we we start with attunement. We do the correction. We end with the relationship. Yeah. Well, sorry, the last ahead. one is, is developing disciplines relationally. And it's also the difference between saying, go out and do your chores which you do that after you have relationally established how to do them well. Um, because what I found is like, if, if let's just say that, you know, you and your kid dusted the house together every Saturday morning, you know, for four years. Well, then at some point you can say, you go dust the house without me. And while they're doing it, half the time they're thinking about you. It has become a relational experience because they're mm-hmm. having memories of when I used to do this with my mom or my dad. Right. And so by building the, the discipline relationally, what you're doing is you're expanding their wor- world because every new discipline a child learns expands their world. If they learn the discipline of piano, the discipline of gardening, the discipline of, you know, whatever it is that they're doing, all of those make their world bigger and, and, and advances the cause of saying, I want you to learn to live with joy. I want you to live your life out of joy and adventure and not out of fear. And how do I keep myself from ever uh, experiencing pain? And those are, are, are the t- core tension that we find in parenting. Mm. Yeah. And you see Marcus is staying relational with his children while he he does that. So even correcting, if my son's playing with a toy instead of cleaning his room, I see your toy is really important, isn't it? I see you're enjoying that toy. So I see you. But what are you supposed to be doing right now? (laughs) Right? So I'm remembering who I am in the moment. I'm staying relational. Here's what I'm seeing. Obviously, that toy is really important to you. But what should you be doing? So he still has to clean his room. Right. And, you know, and there's probably going to be consequences we'll talk about later, but not in the moment. He ha- he has a job to do when let him do his job, but I'm being relational with him. When we get kind of non-relational, we just focus on the problem and there's not going to be a whole lot of joy in the household for quite a while after that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is... Hitting me close to the heart here. Seriously? I'm I'm really good at pointing out what kids what our kids should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. But to start but to start with yeah. the I see, right? right? And the attunement and the relational. I mean, that is that is huge. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very, very true. Mm. We got a we got some 
<laughs> some joy to, to continue to instill in our children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Chris and Marcus, thank you so much for joining us and just for sharing your heart and your examples and uh, your wisdom with us. Podcast family, their newest book, The Four Habits of Raising Joy-Filled Kids. You need to pick this up, especially yes. if, yeah. I mean, we said it time and time again, it's never too late, but even if you're a younger parent, maybe this would be really setting you up for um, just a, a different kind of parenting maybe than you were parented. And also a point we didn't touch on uh, just due to time is we talked about the four habits of raising joy-filled kids. They went through the babies and children, but there's also ones for uh, adults. And so that would be if you have um, you know a child that's you're ready to launch into adulthood and you're wondering what your relationship will look like then, uh, this is a great book to pick up too so thank you so much chris and marcus as our as we ask in our final question where can our podcast family continue to connect with you and find out more about you why don't you go ahead chris uh yeah my uh ministry is just thrive today.org you can learn more about uh what my wife and wife jen and i do at thrive today.org and marcus what about you yeah, and Chris's uh, whole ministry is on relational skills training. So you're going to find tons of uh, uh, parenting and marriage resources there. Um, my ministry is more on discipleship. And so and then we occasionally do the parenting and marriage stuff, but it's deeperwalkinternational.org. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Chris and Marcus. <laughs> All right. Well, we told you this was going to be good. <laughs> and if you liked this episode, definitely go and pick up a copy of their book. But if you haven't listened to our other episode with them, How to Strengthen Your Marriage in 15 Minutes, then just go to inbetween.org slash episode 150 to find the link for that. And we'd also be honored if you'd share this episode with someone that came to mind, perhaps your spouse or a friend or others that you are in this parenting journey with that you can encourage one another with and possibly have a discussion on this topic. You can just hit the share button on your favorite podcasting app or send them that link in between.org slash episode 150. We'll catch you next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.